to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. I appreciate you all praying this week for me. I know we mentioned this on uh, Sunday last week and then again on Wednesday night. Uh, but uh, we did the funeral this week for the uh, for Officer Trey Sutton, who was killed in the line of duty. And uh, just a, it's a tremendously sad thing to have happen. But uh, God gave us, a, gave us an opportunity to share the message of the gospel. And I'm uh, so thankful for that. I, I don't know exactly. I think there was probably around 1,500 people that were watching the service live. And uh, obviously the whole service was recorded. And uh, last time I looked, there was almost 8,000 views on that service. And so just never know how God's going to use it. And uh, just, just a great opportunity to share the gospel. And, and uh, ho- hopefully people accept it and get saved uh, that aren't. But... Um, uh, thank you for praying for that and, and for me, and um, I, I, could, I could tell, I could tell that people were praying. I'm so thankful for that. But here in Ezekiel chapter 33, this, this passage may be somewhat familiar to you. Ezekiel is not a really popular book as far as, you know, we don't, we're not uh, reading out of it all the time for devotions or preaching out of it all the time, but here in this passage in Ezekiel chapter 33, in fact, let's just start right into it in verse number one. The Bible says this, again, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, Speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and he took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Here's one of the most intriguing metaphors used by God, I think, in all of prophecy. It's mentioned first in Ezekiel chapter 3. And it's, it's, I think it's repeated again here in Ezekiel 33 for emphasis. And you see it in Isaiah, you see it in Jeremiah. And we're going to look at a couple different passages this morning. Uh, the watchman was his city's alarm. He was vital to the city's safety. He would be placed on the top of the city wall or on a high hill. His post was designed to spy out any incoming threats. Often they would have these, uh, not just in a city where they'd be watching over the entire city and warning of an enemy that was coming, but a lot of times they would actually have them, they would hire a watchman to, 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 uh, to sit in the tower in a, in a field or in a, in, a, uh, uh, in a vineyard or something like that so they could watch to see if animals were coming or thieves that were coming to try to make off with the crops. But with the, with the community's basic food stores at stake, the watchman's role was very critical to the townspeople. We also find several references in scriptures to, to watchmen mounting the city walls in times of stress to, to, to make sure that their fortifications were good, to make sure that if any enemy was coming, they would see them a long way off and be able to warn the people that danger is coming. And of course, you can, you can understand what, what uh, the prophet is saying here in Ezekiel chapter 33. 
Here this watchman was situated in a spot that he could monitor the approaches to the town. And if a threat was coming, his job was to warn that that threat was there. And if he saw that threat coming and he just decided for whatever reason that he was not going to let anybody know and the, and the, and the danger came and, and the sword was, was, was brought out and people died, then the watchman was responsible for those who died in that city. But then on the other hand, if the watchman did his job and he warned the people and they said, eh, it's not a big threat and they died, then it's on their own head. But what an what a analogy here, what a, what a metaphor we see here. The watchman had an entire city worth of people depending on his vigilance and depending on his faithfulness to the task. And I don't think it's very hard to, to see the metaphor here. God's called you and me to be watchmen. We're, we're to watch for the soul of men. Our generation needs faithful preachers. Our generation needs fervent soul winners people who are willing to stand up and warn those of the danger that's coming if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. We need some watchmen who understand that their their post is not just a, a menial position. It's of utmost importance. Your family, your city, your church needs a watchman. Every dad ought to be a watchman. Every mama ought to be a watchman. Every husband and every wife ought to be a watchman. Every Christian ought to be a watchman for the cause of Jesus Christ. We are called to warn those of the impending danger if they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. A park ranger at Yellowstone National Park was leading a group of, uh, of hikers to a fire lookout. And uh, those, in those fire lookouts, it's a great opportunity to get up really high and see a lot of the, uh, a lot of the acreage. And so he was, he was explaining to this, this group of hikers so many different things, and he was so intent on telling the hikers about the flowers and the animals and everything else about the area that they were walking through that, that he considered the, the message on his two-way radio to be a distraction. So he turned his radio down and continued talking with these uh, people and, and explaining some more of those things to them. And as the group neared that tower, the ranger was met by a near-breathless park ranger who, who ran up to the group and, and he said, a grizzly bear has been stalking your group for the last two miles. The, the, the authorities were trying to warn them of the danger that was coming. Anytime we tune out the Holy Spirit, anytime we ignore the warnings of the Bible, we are putting ourselves and those around us in danger. And I believe that's exactly what this passage is this morning. It's a warning for us to make sure through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God in Ezekiel chapter 33 and to help us understand that we have a tremendous calling and we have a tremendous responsibility we're to be watchmen for a community around us that are mostly just going about their daily lives completely unaware of the danger. Let me take a few minutes this morning to share with you some thoughts about the high calling of the watchman. The high calling of the watchman. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few of these thoughts this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for an opportunity you've given us to open your word. I pray that you'd use uh, your word to speak to our hearts this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. I pray that you'd stir our hearts for the lost around us. Give us a greater burden for those that need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. The watchman needed to be on high alert. The watchman needed to be on high alert. He, we already spoke about the seriousness of the job that was given to the watchman. He didn't have the luxury of sleeping in the tower. He didn't have the luxury of, of deciding not to do this job. He didn't have the luxury of, of, of playing video games or watching TV instead of watching out for what's going on around him. 
Of course, back in those days, they didn't anyway, but I'm sure they had other things that they would do to occupy their time. He had to take his responsibility seriously, and anything less than that could spell doom for his city. A spiritual watchman who is blind or disobedient to God's word leaves the people that he has called to warn in danger of suffering. Obedience is the only course of action for the person who has been called to be a watchman. We see in Ezekiel chapter 33 there in verse number 9, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Our job is to be looking for those who we can warn. That's our responsibility. It's a tremendous responsibility. We ought to be on high alert. We can't blame the culture. We can't blame their lack of desire for God. We can't blame their lack of desire for wanting to be in church or any of those other things. And I know many times we, we use that as an excuse. We say things like, well, you know, things are different now. It used to be that America was moral. It used to be that at least people knew some of the stories in the Bible. It used to be that at least they grew up in Sunday school. It used to be that at least they had respect for the things of God, and they just don't do it anymore. So I guess that means I can wipe my hands of it. No, that means that we need to be even more vigilant. We need to be even more on high alert. That's not an excuse for us to not do our jobs. We can't pretend that the danger doesn't exist. There is no alternative other than to be on high alert. Looking for those that we can warn of the coming destruction, the coming damnation that is imminent for all those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's so important that we be on high alert. I read a story about the, uh, uh, a lighthouse. It was on a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks occurred often. And there was a, a crude little life-saving station. And the, the building was just a hut. There was only one boat, but they had a few devoted members who were, who were so intent on rescuing those who crashed into those rocks. And day and night, somebody kept watch over that little lighthouse. And day and night, there were people who were available to come and help rescue the ships and the people who had crashed that were on those ships. And some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with that station. And so they gave their time and their money and their effort to support the work. They bought new boats. New crews were trained and that little life-saving station started to grow. But some members of the life-saving station were unhappy with the way that the building was so small and crude, and, and they decided that they were going to make sure that this building was not poorly equipped, and they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided for those who uh, were coming in off of the seas as part of that life-saving venture. And so they replaced the emergency cots with beds. They put better furniture in, into that building that they had actually enlarged. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for members, and they decorated it beautifully. They furnished it with all kinds of things that made it comfortable for them to be there in that building. And they kind of used it as sort of a club. But fewer members were now interested in going out on the sea and taking part in those life-saving endeavors, those life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do that work. The life-saving motto was still there. It was still in all the decorations and everything else that they had in there. And there was a miniature lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. But about that same time, a, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty. They were sick. And the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately decided that they were going to add a shower outside of that life-saving station so that people could get cleaned off before they came into that building. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership because most of the members 
wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether since they were unpleasant. It was a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted that life-saving was their duty, that life-saving was their primary purpose, and they pointed that out, that they actually were a life-saving station. They were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives of those various different kinds of people, then they can go down the road and start another life-saving station. So they did that. They went down the road and started another one. And as the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes. More people came in. Things got more comfortable. It got left less and less about a life-saving station and more and more about a place where people could just gather as sort of a club. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent, but most of the people drown. And the sad thing is that's the, that's the history of a lot of churches that start off as life-saving stations. That's what we are. We're not a social club. We're not here to just gather and have a place to, to, to hang out with our friends. It's great for that. It's great for fellowship. It's great to have the, the body of Christ be able to gather together. But our primary responsibility is not as a, as a club that has memberships and that has all these other things. Our primary responsibility is as a life-saving station. And if we ever lose that vision, if we ever lose that responsibility, then we cease to exist as a life-saving station. We may not as well even be here. We have to remain vigilant in our church that we always remain a life-saving station. It's our job to warn. And when we get away from that, we get away from the entire purpose of why we exist as a church. We get away from the entire purpose of why God has left us as Christians on this earth. The watchman needed to be on high alert, but number two, the watchman needed to be on higher ground. Keep your finger there in Ezekiel chapter 33. Put a bookmark or something and turn over to 1 John chapter 2. The watchman needed to be on higher ground. If you think about the position of the watchman up there on the tower, you can imagine that he would have seen everything going on down in the city. He could see a lot of the activity in the streets and the markets. He knew people. He knew their work, their habits, their lifestyle. He would no doubt have wanted to leave his post now and then and go take part in the revelry. But he had a job to do. He had to stay on high ground for the sake of fulfilling his duty. He had to avoid the things that otherwise he might have liked to go out and enjoy. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse number 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. But the, but the principle is there. The truth is there. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. What a responsibility we have to stay away from the world for the sake of doing our duty. Is it easy? No, but it's necessary. When we step away from our job as a watchman, in order to become like everyone else, we fail to be a watchman. We're called to be holy if we want to be used by God. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, if we are not on higher ground, then our job as a watchman is greatly hindered. Our job as a watchman essentially ceases to exist. We're just like everybody else at that point. They can see the same danger coming. They can warn anybody else of the danger coming. If there's no watchman on the wall, then what's the point of even calling yourself a watchman? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
That means that the movies that you like to watch that are not pleasing to God need to go. That means the music that you listen to that it's not pleasing to God needs to go. That means the language that you use, the jokes you tell, the so-called little sins that you think just aren't that bad need to go. That means that the clothes you wear should always be representative of Jesus Christ. We're not called to blend in with the world and be as as close to it as we can while still being called a Christian. We're to look different. We're to act different. We're to talk different. We're to separate from the world for the sake of being used by God to warn those of the impending danger that's coming. And if all we're doing is trying to blend in and we're off of that, that high ground and we just... We, we, we drop down to blend in with everybody else so we don't get made fun of or so we don't get called out or so we don't get uh, people looking at us weird or whatever else. When we step down from that high calling, then we are no longer doing the job that we've been called to do. Well, pastor, you don't, you don't have to be that extreme. You don't have to be that different. I can still do the things that I like. After all, God wants me to be happy. The last time I checked... Two minutes ago, I read in the Bible that we are to be holy. We are to be as holy as God in everything that we do. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's a high bar that he set for us. That doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room for us to go do the things that we want to do that are not pleasing to God in this life. Seems like a very high standard that we're to live up to. And I'm not saying that, that, that we, we can do that or that we should do that. I'm saying that we, we must do that if we're going to take seriously our responsibility. We've been given on the watchtower to warn souls. We must live on higher ground. And by the way, you find the more, that the more you live for holiness, the more you'll find happiness. Because God's, God's not so concerned with you being happy as he is about you being holy. Now, God's not against us being happy. In fact, we have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength, the Bible says. But God's concern for us is not that we're happy. His concern for us is that we're holy. And you'll find that the more you move toward holiness, the more you'll move toward happiness at the same time. Because true happiness is found when we are being and doing exactly what God wants us to do. True happiness comes from true holiness. You think you have these things in this life that you enjoy, that you, that you can't let go of. Well, I know they're sins, and I know they're not exactly right, but uh, they make me so happy. Try holiness. Try holiness. You'll see what real happiness is about. True happiness comes through holiness. The watchman needs to be on high alert. The watchman needed to be on higher ground. Number three, the watchman needed to realize the high stakes. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, a preacher of the past, told a distinguished minister, Dr. Howard, he was, a, he was a preacher from Australia who preached very strongly on the subject of sin. And after the service, one of the church uh, leaders came to this pastor and he said, hey, we don't want you to talk as openly about man's guilt and corruption because if our boys and girls hear you discussing those things, they'll be more easily uh, likely to become sinners themselves. He said, call it a mistake if you will, but, but don't speak so plainly about sin. The minister brought that man to his office. Apparently, he had used this as an illustration before, but he pulled down a small bottle, and he showed it to him, and he said, you see that label? It says strychnine. And on the bottom of that label, underneath in bold letters, it says poison. Do you know what you're asking me to do? He said, what you're asking me to do is suggesting that I change the label. And if I were to go change that label, he said, suppose I do change that label, and I put over it the essence of peppermint. 
And somebody goes and they take that essence of peppermint, not realizing that it's poison, not realizing that it's something that could actually kill them. He said, don't you see what happens? The milder you make the label, the more dangerous you make the poison. And boy, God warns us through the message of the prophet that, that God will demand a day of reckoning for sin. There is a day of judgment coming. For those that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that means they are going to spend an eternity in hell. And if because I'm afraid that I'm going to offend him, and I'm certainly not out there trying to offend people. I'm not trying to make people feel bad or trying to make them feel, feel insignificant or any of those other things, but that's what the gospel does sometimes. Because the gospel does point to us as we are. We're humans. We sin. We are in need of a Savior. And if we're trying to sugarcoat it because we don't want them to feel better, if we're trying to pretend that everything's going to be all right and all you got to do to go to heaven is die and everybody ends up there, then what you're doing is you're making the poison a whole lot worse because they think they're okay. And they go and they take that poison thinking that it's something else and they die in their sins. And that's where God says, their blood is going to be on our hands. God's word makes it very clear that there's going to be an accounting. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. God calls on us as Christians to wake up, to acknowledge our sin and repent before national calamity descends on us as a nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the Bible says. And the farther we get away from that, the less we make that a priority in our nation, the more we're going to see that destruction. And the more that's going to be on us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You don't have to turn over there unless you want to, but he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Romans 13 and verse 11, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. See, and when that happens, when we as Christians wake up, we'll get a greater burden for the lost. We'll get a greater burden for those who are dying on their way to hell without Jesus Christ. Doing that job and fulfilling that role requires courage. It requires perseverance. It requires a love for the people that you're trying to reach. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 6. I think one of the best examples of this was the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah spent more than 40 years in a role of a watchman to the nation of Judah urging people to heed his warnings, urging people to return to the ways of God. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 says this, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. God's main message throughout the Bible is to return to his path, return to his ways as the solution. Do this and live, he says. And Jeremiah knew that message. Jeremiah had that message burning in his soul, the Bible says. And Jeremiah went over and over and over and told these people, and they just point blank said, we're not going to do it. They, they said, we will not walk therein. Jeremiah and others like him have stood in that role of watchman. Verse number 17, also I set a watchman over you, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. Therefore hear, ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. The sad truth is that a lot of people are going to reject the message. But that shouldn't keep us from trying. There have been many people that I've seen 
accept Jesus Christ as their Savior who have been told over and over and over and over again, who've heard the message over and over and over again, and finally one day they understood it. Finally one day they heard the truth and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not our job to save them. It's our job to warn them. They have that choice to make. Once they're warned of the danger that's coming, that's on them whether they accept that warning or whether they reject that warning. The Holy Spirit demands that people be allowed to hear that which is truth. What they do with that is on them. But we'll be held responsible for the people we don't warn. The Masters is this week. In fact, I think today is the final day of the Masters. Payne Stewart was one of the most colorful characters that ever played on the PGA Tour. But in 1999, his jet crashed. It appears that what happened was the pilot and the co-pilot went unconscious during the flight. Somehow, they lost pressure in the cabin of the jet that they were flying on, and the pilot and the co-pilot, and probably everybody else in the plane as well, were unconscious. And eventually, the plane just ran out of gas and crashed. But as they pulled alongside Stewart's jet, they, could, they couldn't see any movement in the cockpit. Two Air Force jets were sent to investigate what was going on. And as they pulled up, they could tell that the pilot and the co-pilot were unconscious. They couldn't see any movement. And actually, all the windows in that jet were foggy. They knew something was wrong. And after the plane ran out of gas, of course, it plunged down. And, and everybody that was on that plane lost their lives that day. But they talked to the two Air Force pilots afterwards that flew alongside that plane, and they said it's a very helpless feeling pulling alongside an aircraft and knowing that the pilot and the co-pilot are incapacitated, knowing exactly what's going to happen to all of those people who are on that plane and only being 50 to 100 feet away and being able to see the faces of those people on that plane and not being able to do anything about it. Could you imagine being in that position? A picture of the lost as a runaway airplane with nothing to stop them from plunging into hell unless you share the gospel with them. Then maybe we'll understand the high stakes that are involved. Maybe then we'll see the necessity of sharing the message of the gospel. Turn back over to Ezekiel chapter 33. The watchman needed to be on high alert. The watchman needed to be on higher ground. The watchman needed to realize the high stakes. And lastly, number four, the watchman needed to understand his high calling. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse number 7 says this, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, shalt, th therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Notice that this is God's message, not Ezekiel's message, not any other prophet's message. It's always God's message delivered through a human instrument. The warning comes from God in the language that's phrased to fit the situation and designed to bring people to repentance. Ezekiel had the duty to deliver that sober message, warning, warning, death is coming, danger is coming, you better do something about it. Unless the citizens of Israel and Judah acknowledge their sins, unless they turn from those sins and repented and began again to obey God's law, they were going to die in their sins. But regardless of how the individual responded to the warning, if they heard the message, the watchman had done his job. And he was no longer responsible. Only if the watchman didn't deliver that admonition was there blood to be on his hands. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. I think this is so significant there in Ezekiel chapter 33. Because he's saying, warn them from me. 
What a high calling. What a responsibility. Man, God has given us this opportunity. God has given us this message. God is saying, I can't come down there and give them that warning. Now, of course, he's given us the word of God, and we have that. But he's counting on people to proclaim the word of God. He's already given us the beginning and the end. We know what's going to happen, but he says, warn them from me. Tell them that I sent you. Tell them that this is from God. It, it matters a whole lot, right, when it, when it comes to, to my kids. And, you know, if I tell Jackson, hey, go tell Alex and Riley to do such and such, and Jackson goes over there and says, hey, you guys go make your beds. Who are you to tell me to go make my bed, right? But if he says, Dad told me to tell you to make your bed, that carries a whole lot of weight with it, right? Now it's not just Jackson delivering this message. It's Dad delivering this message, and I better do it or I'm going to get in trouble for not making my bed. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage here in Ezekiel. He's saying, warn them from me. It's not just Ezekiel making this stuff up and saying, hey, I, I think danger's coming. You better do something about it. He says, no, this is God's message. God says you better be prepared. Paul was able to have these words as his testimony in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 24. But none of these things move me. Of course, Paul was talking in Acts chapter 20 about the fact that he was getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to be bound. He knew that he was going to end up in, in, a, uh, in a situation where he probably was not going to come out with his life. He says in verse number 20, But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. What a testimony. Can you say that along with the Apostle Paul? I'm clear from the blood of all men because I've not missed one opportunity to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. General Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. He told about a man who was leaving Australia who had been working in the gold fields, and he had, uh, he had acquired a fortune. And he was on the ship on his way back home, and a leak sprung on that ship. And it happened so fast that the lifeboats were lost. Obviously, they weren't really expecting it to happen, and some of the lifeboats were not even in working condition. But the people were without hope. And that man was strong. He had been, he'd been a, a laborer his entire life. He, he felt that it was pretty safe for him to just jump into the water and swim back to the shore. They weren't too far from the shore where they were at, and he could see through the waves to the island. And he was about to jump in the water when a little girl whose mother had drowned and been lost in the storm, said, Sir, can you save me? And he looked at that belt of gold. And he looked at the child. And he looked back at that belt of gold. And he looked at the child. And he threw that belt of gold away. Took her on his back and threw himself into the water. And just as he was about to die from exhaustion, his feet touched solid ground. He and that girl's life had been spared. The next day when he regained consciousness, the little girl put her arms around his neck, put her lips to his cheek, and said, I'm so glad you saved me. And later on, the man told the story, and he said that was worth more than all the gold in Australia. This is a soul winner's reward. It's for 
some man whom you've won for Jesus Christ to meet you on the streets of gold and say, I'm so glad you told me about Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you shared the message of the gospel with me. I'm so glad you didn't shirk your responsibility to warn somebody who was lost and dying. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3 says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. I want you to look at one last passage with me, and we're done in Isaiah chapter 52. See, this is the time for the watchman to mount the walls. This is the time for the watchman to sound a clear, unmistakable warning message of the dangers facing not just our community, not just the English-speaking countries, but the entire world. It's time to make known the hope that's found through Jesus Christ. Isaiah's message stands bright and clear today in Isaiah 52 and verse number 7. He says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. So I ask you this morning, come, take your place on the wall. You have a high calling as a watchman for Jesus Christ. Don't miss out on that opportunity. What a high calling it is. We've been sent with a message from God to warn those that danger is coming, to warn those that they need Jesus Christ. Ah, what a better occupation can be found than to be a watchman for the cause of Jesus Christ. Hey, you're not a painter who happens to be a Christian. You're not an electrician who happens to be a Christian. You're not a carpenter or a police officer or anything else who happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a Christian who happens to have that as your occupation. Our primary job is as a Christian. Our primary job is to be a watchman on that wall. And boy, what a high calling that is. Don't miss out on the opportunity. Don't miss out on the opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the privilege that you've given to us as Christians, those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to be able to warn other people. And to share the message of the gospel with as many people as we can before you come back. I pray that you'd help us to take that as seriously as it is. I pray that you'd help us to see the importance and the necessity of sharing that message from you. God, I can't help but think that you've laid at least one person, if not more, on the hearts of every single person in here this morning. That they need to tell about Jesus Christ. Oh, you put us in the positions that we're in so that we can share the message with those around us. You give us every opportunity that we have. I pray that you help us to take them. I pray that you help us not to miss out on one person that we should have told about the message of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd burden our hearts for the lost. I pray that you'd burden our hearts for the souls of those that are dying without Jesus Christ. And I pray that this week, this week, we'd be witnesses for you. 
Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you